0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week 37 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm gonna be talking to you about questions 101 and 102. And despite what I said last week in the conclusion, this week we are still gonna be looking at the third commandment. Now last week as we were wrapping things up, I pointed out the fact that we were going to move on from the third commandment to the fourth commandment, and I overlooked the fact that there's some things that we still need to talk about in relation to the third commandment. Specifically, how can it apply in our lives in a positive way, Um, specifically with regard to taking oaths and making vows? So here's the third commandment again. This is from Deuteronomy 5.11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And last week, we tried to figure out why this is such an important issue to God. Following on the heels of the first two commandments, why is this even here? Why is it such a big deal? And we learned that the glory of God's person is directly tied to the holiness of God's name. We learn throughout scripture that there is no way to disconnect the person of God from the name of God. So when we set up his or when we set his name apart in our hearts as holy, we are reverencing him as holy. And conversely, when we devalue his name by uttering a hateful curse and and we attach his name to it, and we're not just cursing his name, we're actually cursing God. But this week, we're going to ask the question, can we use God's name and even swear by God's name in a way that is not sinful? So here's question 101. May we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Some of the other translations will say if we do it in a religious way. And the answer that the Heidelberg gives us is yes. When the government demands it, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Such oaths are approved in God's Word and were rightly used by Old and New Testament believers." period. <clears throat> now, this hardly seems like the most pressing question that we could discuss. We've, we've The catechism is 52 weeks. It's got only so many questions, so many things we need to look at, so many things we need to think about. Surely there's something maybe a little more pressing than this issue of swearing oaths before the government. Um, the swearing of oaths by the name of God is not one of those ethical dilemmas that we tend to wrestle over all that much. In fact, we seldom take such oaths. Um, and most of us <clears throat> would not naturally connect swearing to tell the truth in court, so to speak, well, so help me God, uh, to be something that may violate the third commandment. How are these things connected? It may not be all that pressing to us But during the Reformation, this was a pretty significant issue, and the Reformers, as well as the constructors of the Heidelberg Catechism, saw that these things go together, the swearing of oaths and the Third Commandment. So, for starters, the Reformers had to think through their pastoral counsel to former Catholics, uh, Catholics who uh, had left the church and, and also who had made monastic vows when they were in the Catholic Church, often including the promise of lifelong celibacy. And now these individuals, having left the Catholic Church, they wanted to break those vows. And the question was, can they do that? Should they do that? Well, the reality is that many of the vows taken by monks and other Catholic churchmen, they were made with the expectation that spiritual merit was actually being obtained. So the Catholic Church taught and still teaches that eternal life and other graces of God were to be earned. They were to be merited through the outward religious practices defined by the Roman Catholic Church, the sacraments and and other things. And so since these vows were made uh, within a system that was contrary to Scripture and the gospel, it was necessary, uh, the Reformers taught, for the men and women who made these vows to actually repent of them And thus, they were not bound by God to fulfill them. So this was a pretty significant, pretty important issue for the newly reformed Protestant church. Now today, for us, the taking of religious oath is not that common. Uh, But we may find ourselves in a position to have to be called upon uh, to give a testimony in court. And if so, we can expect to be asked to raise our right hand and to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. And in this case, we are promising before God and all the people around us uh, by making an oath before God. And and our, our oath is that we will give an honest and truthful testimony in everything that we say. And we do this, uh, you know, our court system does this in order to bring some solemnity to the court proceeding. And and we do this in order to draw attention to the fact that justice is a matter of grave importance. And so we evoke the name of our Creator, uh, and we acknowledge the fact that everything that we say is going to be overseen by our Creator God, and that He will be the final judge over our truthfulness in that particular trial. And The Heidelberg sees this as a good thing. It's a good thing in that it promotes truth, it promotes trustworthiness within society. And I tend to agree with them on this. Now, let's go a little bit further with that, though. We know that God sees everything we do, and He hears everything that we say. We don't have to be in a courtroom... Uh, for God to know what we're doing and what we're saying, even what we're thinking. We also know that we're going to be judged, that all of mankind will be judged by God for everything we do and say, whether we swear an oath in court or not. Because God's promise to judge the, th- the secret thoughts of men by Jesus Christ is part and parcel of the gospel, according to Romans 2, 16. And that means that we should strive to be truth tellers at all times, whether there's an oath in place or not. But ultimately, as believers, we know uh, believing in Christ means that we're trusting in the fact that our judgment for sin, uh, the, the judgment for sin that we rightly deserved, has already been poured out. Christ received in His flesh the due penalty for the sins of all those who believe. And what this means is that ultimate judgment for our sin has already been paid. But there is another type of judgment that will come. God will judge our fruitfulness as believers as a tokenness of the genuineness of our faith. Okay, so but even more importantly to the reformers in this matter of oaths was the need to address the fact that it had become customary uh, due to the Catholic influence that religious people would swear oaths commonly, and they would swear vows commonly, not just before God, but they would do this in the name of church saints or even angels. And so that's where question 102 comes in. Here's question 102. May we swear by saints or other creatures? Now, obviously, uh, they're referring to saints, uh, holy men of God, who achieved some status within the church um, but those saints were actually creatures. So it, when it says saints, they're specifically talking about you know early church fathers and other church saints that the Catholic Church recognized. Uh, but in general, they're just talking about all creatures. And the answer to that question is no. A legitimate oath means calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truthfulness and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature, saint or otherwise, is worthy of such an honor. Now, the Reformers corrected this practice of the people swearing oaths by, to saints um, <clears throat> by basically pointing out that there is no other individual, there is no entity, there is no being in this universe uh, that is worthy of having an oath declared in their name. Since God is the only one who truly knows the heart of man and the only one who can ultimately hold man accountable to keeping an oath, God is the only one by whom any oath or vow should be sworn. That's the logic of the answer to question 102. So let's put this into practice. If you're in the habit, or you can remember a time when you were in the habit of swearing on your mother's grave, I can remember... Uh, when I was a little kid, this was a common thing. We would we would try to get our friends to trust that we were telling the truth by saying something like, "I swear on my mother's grave." Now, if you can remember that, or if you are in the habit of doing that, then you would be in violation of what the Heidelberg says is right and good. Your mother's grave is no doubt an important item to you for every good son. But your mother, whether dead or alive, is not so special that she can truly know your heart and judge your actions with the type of majestic justice that God possesses. So of course, we shouldn't swear an oath on the name, head, or even the grave of some mere creature, be it saint, angel, or your dear mother. No creature is worthy of such an honor. But I don't think that's really the the main question here. When it comes to oaths, when it comes to making vows, when it comes to making certain promises, I think the real question is not about oaths. It's about, do we put a premium on speaking the truth and nothing but the truth? I mean, lying is a part of our human experience. The first lie occurred in the garden in Genesis 3. And from that point forward, lying is a sin at the very heart of our fallen human nature. Jesus called Satan the father of lies in John 8.44. And Psalm 116.11 tells us that all men are liars. Our God, however, is a covenant keeper who never lies. We are covenant breakers who lie naturally and treat it like it's no big deal. And so when Jesus comes and he teaches us, you know, the, the true function of why he's there and the really the, the clear application of the law of God to our hearts, Jesus calls upon his followers to be men and women who speak the truth. So he does this in Matthew 5, verse 33. So this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now that, that word swear and sworn there, it's it's referring to oaths. He goes on, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So the main point of what Jesus is saying in this passage is not really about oaths. I mean, he says, hey, don't take oaths. What he does say, though, is be the kind of person that reflects the glory and nature and character of God. Be the kind of person who keeps your word. If you make a vow, you're bound to keep it. If you make a promise, you should do everything in your power to keep that promise. If we learn to be people of our word, people of honesty and people of integrity, then there's really no need to make a vow at all. We simply become honest and trustworthy people like our Heavenly Father. Honest people don't need to swear by anything. They're known for their honesty and their word is enough. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. He wants us to be honest and truthful the way he and the Father are honest and truthful. Jesus wants us to follow him, to be men and women of integrity. So think about it. If we said what we meant and meant what we said, there would be no need to make lofty promises. If we kept our word, even down to the smallest thing, it might cause us to be slow in speaking, which would be a good thing, but it would also ultimately eliminate the need for these solemn vows and oaths uh, in order to make people trust us. And this is what Jesus wants from his people. He wants us to live simple and quiet lives of honesty and trustworthiness. You see, the Bible is filled with warnings for how our tongues can cause destruction. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. But Jesus wants us to be people whose tongues give life. He wants us to be a church whose speech is trustworthy. So, Next week, we're going to continue to study these Ten Commandments, uh, and we're going to finally look at the Fourth Commandment. It's going to be Lord's Day 38, and there's only going to be one question, and it is what does God require in the Fourth Commandment? So I hope that you'll join me again next week as we continue our study in the Heidelberg. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. I really appreciate and thank you so much for listening.